Welcome to the Future of Life Institute podcast. My name is Gus Docker. On this episode, I talk with Connor Leahy. Connor is the CEO of Conjecture, which is an organization dedicated to scalable AI alignment. This episode is a lightning round. I ask Connor a lot of questions about a lot of different topics. And so you get to hear Connor's opinions about everything ranging from aliens to economics to memetics to education, everything. It's a super interesting episode. I hope you enjoy it. Here is Connor Leahy. Great. And we're back. Connor, welcome back. Glad to be back. I'm going to do something. Uh, I'm going to give you an impossible task, which is to answer complex questions quickly. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> yes. And uh, I, I call this a semi-lightning round or a pseudo-lightning round because I want you to actually, uh, you know, actually explain your answer a bit. Uh, so it's, I don't want you to give me a 30-second answer, but, you know, take us... Let's see if we can move a little faster here and, and get your takes on a lot of different topics. Um, you up for this? Yeah, let's go. Okay, perfect. Are there aliens in the universe? Depends on what you mean by universe. <laughs> the, the <observer> <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm terrible at this, damn it. <laughs> in the observable universe, eh, maybe, probably-ish. Yeah. Do you, can you say anything about your thinking on this topic? look up grabby aliens like i mean it's something i, I kind of defer my opinion there to like that one fhi like you know 20 percent the universe is empty thing plus grabby alien kind of anthropic ish models i don't think about too much ufos are definitely not aliens though so anyone who thinks those are aliens like obviously not they're obviously our simulators messing with us <laughs> will humans ever upload our own minds i mean if we survive the uh you know takeoff yeah the AI takeoff, you mean? Yep. Yeah. Okay, so um, what motivates you to work on AI safety? Yeah, is the world is nice. There's a lot of nice things. Things could be even nicer. There's a lot of people. They, you know, I like them to be happy. I don't like suffering. I like to prevent suffering. It's another thing to do. Do you find that your motivation is affected by your uh, perhaps pessimism about the difficulty of the problem? Are you are you more motivated? Uh, the harder the problem is, or is there is there you know could the problem be so hard that you would simply give up or be not motivated? If a problem is impossible, it's not particularly motivating to work on. But as I said before, it's it's curious that we live in a timeline where we're not obviously lost. We're like the odds are extremely against us. It's like, but we haven't lost yet. It's this is a thing actually that um, people ask me sometimes. Is that like Connor? Why wow, you have these like terrible pessimistic timelines, but you don't seem to be depressed? And I'm really not. Like, at all. I'm, like, super happy all the time. Like, lately, in particular. Like, ever since I've really started, like, really working on this problem, I is the happiest I've ever been in my life. And I'm, like, it's, like, it's, like, I don't know. To, to be a bit, you know, poetic or whatever, it's, like, you know, some people are built for the valley, some people are built for the mountains. And I feel like I'm built for the mountains. It's, like, I kind of, like, my whole life, I feel like I've just been, like, waiting for something to do. Like, I'm just, like, oh, oh, oh war is finally here. All right, let's go. Like, I'm ready. Let's Let's do this. Do you think it has something to do with? Do you think it has something to do with the alignment of your values with your actions? So is 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 that a fundamental of of human happiness in 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 your case? I think it is. Yes. Like this is something that's like always been like. Even so, I'm like you know always tried to be a big brain rationalist, like thinking about consequentialism and whatever. Like at heart, I've always been very virtue ethicist, and now I've like come back around towards like virtue ethics as such being actually like good and consequentialism bad in many ways and like i have a deep deep aesthetic reappreciation for like heroism as a concept and like honor and like you know sacrifice mercy like it's all like very you know things that in our modern world kind of are almost trite you know or like you know they feel like kind of cutesy but like i have a felt sense like there's a felt sense in my mind of like honor and heroism as like fundamental ontological concepts that are like valuable and like feel very good. Like this is, um, it feel like in a sense that my felt sense. I'm not like describing any kind of like like moral reality to any of this. To be clear, this is just a felt aesthetic sense, like felt aesthetic sense of like heroism as like a fundamental concept of goodness and like a fundamental thing that I. And like sacrifice, you know. I know very classic Western, very classic like you know, or like even Christian or like you know, heroic aesthetics. But um, 
don't know. It's just always been how I've been. Like, you know, as a kid, I was like, you know, when I was like, you know, I was like very, very quite young. I would like, I had this, I had sleeping issues when I was a kid. I, I uh, had terrible insomnia. I would, it'd take me like three hours to fall asleep every single night. And it wasn't bad though. So as a kid, I was like, great, it's thinking time. I can just like <laughs> sit alone. No one will bother me. I can just think of stories and like think about philosophy and science and just like, you do that. And then I would for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, I would just think about what does it mean to be a hero? And like, that was like, it's like, it's very funny. Cause like, it, for me, it was like, the like fundamental concept. It was like a mystery I had to solve. It was like, it was as real to me as physics. But it was like something where it was like, surely there's a true definition. I just haven't found it yet. Which is, you know, classic, like, you know, you know, pre postmodern philosophy kind of like thing of like defining the true definition of goodness. Doing the Socrates thing of, of ex examining a, a concept from all angles until you find the true definition, which it's, it's it, in some sense a fool's errand, but perhaps you learn something in the, in the process. Exactly. So like, I, I'm, I'm like, obviously, like, obviously, these are just like, you know, contingent concepts. And obviously, it's just like my own, like, you know, sort of aesthetic sense, like, I don't ascribe like reality to any of these concepts, or like, you know, universality to any of these ideas. But so I went through the phase of like, you know, as a kid being like, taking these things super seriously, then, you know, like an older teen, I was, you know, become edgy atheist, you know, moral realist, you know, uh, not sorry, like more relativist or like, whatever. But then I kind of like came back around where I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not like saying these are like universally compelling or whatever, but they mean a lot to me. And so screw you, I can do whatever I want. It's <laughs> you know? definitely more, uh, it's easier to see how the virtues would apply to your daily life than it is uh, to see how uh, the moral theory of consequentialism would apply. It's, it's, it, it very often or very easily gets uh, incredibly complex and meta with consequentialism, whereas virtue, thinking in terms of virtue is, is something that you can apply um more easily i would think virtue is the ethics for humans consequentialism is the ethics for gods <laughs> okay on the topic of consequentialism is infinity a problem there so is infinity a problem for the moral theory of consequentialism yes absolutely uh infinity is a con is a problem for almost everything actually i have stupid spicy opinions about infinity and philosophy and how people are very very confused about what infinity is especially that people don't understand that they're embedded creatures living in an embedded reality and you can like very easily derive paradoxes from infinities especially higher order infinities i like begrudgingly accept you know like the you know aleph null infinity but i'm like i'm like you know i'm you know jokingly um you know morally against higher order infinities because i think they <laughs> It's like all these kind of weird, weird paradoxes that people like real numbers are obviously not real. Like anyone who says real numbers is real. You're on my naughty list. Like I'm going to fight you. Do you think there are actual kind of um, real world implications of thinking about in infinity? Does it change uh, anything about what we should do? Yep, absolutely. I think people are very confused about many things. I, for example, expect that Black holes are not infinitely dense. That this is just a confusion. That's because we're confused about what infinity means and what, you know how time works and like analogs and stuff. And that if we had a more uh, a, a different kind of theory, for example, based on like intuitionistic logic or like you know some other kind of like computable logic, then we would find that actually black holes have very different properties. I expect this to be the case for ethics and such. Like like the classic example is or like you know infinite ethics, where it's like well if you believe in like infinite multiverses or whatever, well, then you should assign zero value to this universe because it's, you know, a zero size slice of infinity. So therefore you should have no interest whatsoever in anything that happens in this reality. And you should only care about, you know, affecting like, you know, hypercomputing multiverse or whatever. This is the kind of thing where if you encounter this kind of thought, your immediate reaction should be no. Like just <laughs> say no, just turn around just go back home like obviously this is insane like the so the funny thing about like alien gods from beyond reality you know these like hyper intelligent super turing you know machines from beyond reality that you know can you know come in through infinite mathematics is they can all be defeated by simply saying no <laughs> you can defeat roko's basilisk by just saying no and then it's gone that's it that's all you needed to do you're thinking you can you can defeat all this very abstract uh, philosophy and mathematics by simply trying to be heroic or insisting that you 
that you act virtuous. You don't even need that. Just say, no, that sounds stupid. Just go home. Like, if, <laughs> like someone gives you some galaxy brain fucking Rokos Basilisk argument. Oh, well, you see, now that you know about the Basilisk, it will harm you. I'm like, no, I don't believe in the Basilisk. And now the Basilisk can't torture you because it has no causal influence. A causal influence over you because you don't believe in it. <laughs> so, like, even by the Basilisk standard of what it is, it doesn't work. You literally just have to say, nah, that sounds like bullshit. And then you're free. <laughs> and like, I think there's a lot of like galaxy braining that happens in like infant ethics in particular, where people say like, well, assume we observed a hyper Turing machine. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Three steps back. You cannot observe a hyper Turing machine. It would take infinite steps to verify whether a system is a hyper Turing machine or not. Not just like arbitrary mini, infinite Humans can't do infinite steps. So any conclusion that follows in your later, you know, 50,000 word essay, I can dismiss out of hand. I don't need to read it. It's already wrong. You already made a mistake. So there is, so you can reason about higher order things like this if you want, but you have, but people get confused about what they're actually reasoning about. They use symbols. So this is the classic, like humans, get confusing themselves with symbols you know it's like you have a symbol and we'll call this you know infinite you know steps or whatever right and you can like say things about this symbol you, there's like all kinds of things you can do with this symbol you can do all kinds of like algebras on the symbol and whatever and that's all cute but it's not infinity you can't interact with infinity In infinity is infinitely big there is no thing you can you can't touch it it's not something that will ever affect you. anything that only affects you after infinite steps does not affect you because you will never exist for infinite steps this is actually my criticism where i mentioned you know a while back but i see and like lomanoff induction so to quickly explain the point the problem with with icy and like so it's like icy is provably the most intelligent agent you can get is that it will always converge to the best solution possible given up to a constant so this is actually crazy this is actually a crazy result like when you first read you're like what like this is wild. no matter what scenario you put this thing in right it will always get to the correct solution as fast as fast as possible up to a constant wow that's that's crazy that's like when i first read this result i was like wow that's not what i expected that's pretty impressive but then you notice there's a fucking trick <laughs> like yeah oh wait i've been deceived there is a trick here that constant is arbitrarily large. It can be anything. That constant can be any number. It, can, it doesn't matter. It can be, you know, Graham's numbers times the size of your universe. Like, it doesn't matter. It can be anything. So it can't actually be implemented in our no. universe. Yeah. I mean, it, it can't even be implemented because it, you also need to have, like, halting oracles to make, implement this. But even if you could... It still wouldn't work. <laughs> like, I mean, well, it, well, well, the approximations wouldn't work. So, if you try to, so basically, the 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 cheesy way of saying it is, IC can be arbitrarily wrong about arbitrary facts for arbitrarily long. Yeah. Uh, okay. If you could have a long conversation with anyone, who would you have this conversation with? Ooh, dead or uh, alive. Dead or alive. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, can can I change their influence, or is this just gaining information? <laughs> we, <laughs> I can't give you the the physics of time travel here. It, it's uh, okay. So you, it's just extracting information. Yeah, it's just extracting okay. information. I mean, assuming no one from the future. I mean, I guess it would. I've talked to most really smart people alive today, so maybe like von Neumann or Einstein, um, maybe someone like that. Uh, well, actually, I mean, if I was munchkinning this, if I was min-maxing this, I would find someone who has a very relevant piece of historical information that I could like e abuse to like exploit the market or something. Um, uh, but I would have to think more about that. I would probably be interested in talking to, yeah, maybe von Neumann or someone like that. But, or, I mean, if I wasn't trying to min-max, I was just curious. I would probably greatly enjoy talking to Leibniz. Um, I think Leibniz is a very interesting character. I consider Leibniz to be the first alignment researcher. Um, <laughs> there is a great set of like book-length essays about like the history of computability and logic. Um, 
forgot by who, unfortunately. And the first one, a lot of it is about Leibniz. So it's this is very funny. He when Leibniz first put his um, doctoral thesis, his uh, he he applied for doctoral thesis, and his application was that he would create the un the 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 you know natural language of philosophy by which you know the will of god and everything could be formalized so in the future when two philosophers disagree they must they need merely say let us compute you want to formalize all things into this one universal language which is if it's like this like you know 1600s or like 1700s or whatever i'm like based like awesome <laughs> like what a guy like this guy is just like inventing like the idea of formal logic and like the idea of like formalizing the will of God, you know, into formal logic so it can be implemented on Earth. I'm like, man, yeah, this guy's the first alignment researcher. I love it. Imagine being Leibniz back then and then trying to differentiate differentiate between your ideas that are crazy and your ideas that are brilliant. And it must be yep. so, so difficult because he, he also has published some far out views about ontology, for oh, example. Yeah. But Oh, yeah, obviously. But it's like... Same thing like Newton. Like Newton considered his physics works to not be his greatest works. He thought like his like alchemical and his like biblical interpretation work to be like this is another thing about like epistemology where like people have very confused views about like how it was to be a pre-scientific person and like how different it actually was. Like we have like movies, like you know, people go back in time where we see like historical people, and they're like kind of like us, you know, they don't know certain facts, you know, but they're like they reason about things much more than we do. Like People don't understand that, like, people, even, like, 100 years ago or whatever, were fucking savages, <laughs> like, compared to today. They were savage. They were awful. Like, the violence and the abuse and the, like, the drunkenness. One of my fa I, I have to, this is completely irrelevant, but I, I have to do your, your listeners a favor here. Um, if you want to look up something just to truly, truly awaken you to, like, how weird history is, you have to look up the Lester Balloon Riots. So this is one of my favorite little anecdotes out of history. I, I stumbled on this by complete accident. So, okay, balloon riots. Well, that's kind of weird, right? Like, okay, so I want you to imagine your head what happened here. Okay, maybe there was some riot for some reason that involved balloons for some reason or it became like a symbol of balloons or something. Nope, wasn't that. All right, so, uh, okay, it's happened like like 1800s or something. So like something like hot air balloons, maybe someone was using them for some like bad purpose or something. No, 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 it's much better than that. So. What happened was, sorry, this is true. Look at on Wikipedia. Um, was that um, some nobleman had built a hot air balloon and whatever, and so he was trying to, you know, um, you know, go up into the air balloon and just like look at things. So a huge crowd of like spectators uh, came to look at to to watch. And what happened was is that a riot broke out. People got, you know, went you know insane basically, and like tore the balloon apart and burnt it. So like and like yeah I had like run away and so why okay so I want you to imagine in your mind what could have caused this the reasoning was and I quote that they had heard it wasn't the biggest balloon <laughs> they were just like what oh this is the best balloon fuck this guy kill him <laughs> like that's actually what happened like people just like they were so drunk and just so fucked up that they're just like get him boys fuck this balloon and apparently this was such a big problem. That during that time, it was a regular occurrence that people would try to hide when they had their balloon takeoffs to not attract too large of crowds because like shit like this would just keep fucking happening. This is this was definitely not my guess. I would have guessed something that perhaps they saw the balloon as a god and 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 were scared by it or something. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They were just like like they were just like something. You know, I, I think it's like I can actually imagine what happened. Like after I thought about it for like when I first heard this, I'm like, this is absurd. How the fuck is that? But then I thought about it some more. And I remember when, like, you know, me and the boys were, like, young, when we were, like, 18 or 17, and we would get, like, really drunk. And then I'm like, oh, I can see how this happens. <laughs> like, Actually, drunk, That there's an interesting uh, semi-serious uh, theory about drunkenness, which is that, uh, so, say, before 1700, there were, there were a lot of pubs in, in London and the UK in general, and um, people were drunk, uh, people were... were after work, they got out. They went out and they drank a lot, and then they fell asleep, and then they never really achieved anything intellectual. But with the uh, introduction of coffee houses, people had a different stimulant uh, or had a stimulant effect uh, as opposed to a kind of a downer effect from the alcohol, and then they began 
intellectualizing and talking and uh, developing theories and so on. That's it. My, I don't know how seriously to take this, but the point is just to say drunkenness was a, was a huge problem in the past. And I, I think you're right that it's, we, we, we can't really understand how, how the world was back then. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It's like, like people were like, whenever you read a history book, you have to remember all of these people were just like pissed drunk all the time. Everyone was drunk all the time. Like they, you, you couldn't drink water, right? Water was could be potentially poisonous, and yeah, so you so had to beer drink beer. But it was very common for just everyone to be drunk all the time, and you know, illiterate and like violent and like, like I remember reading. I think it was in Better Angels of Our Nature where he just like talked about how like in the medieval world, like everyone had a knife with them at all times. Like this was just you know because you know you need knives for all kinds of things. So people just stab each other at dinner all the time. Like people just get murdered at dinner all the time and this is just normal it's like eh, you know it's like oh man you know old farmer bob dad fred yeah as i mean i mean death would be much more common and you would you would uh, expect to encounter death from uh, disease or from violence uh, much more often than than we do we we are absolutely shocked if we encounter death but let's um so what will be the most impressive thing that the gpt4 will be able to do no, I'm using up all my trading alpha. No. Um, I don't know what the most impressive thing will be because I expect once people have it in their hands, they're going to like, you know, elicit more and more impressive things. I expect Riley Goodside is going to make it do some pretty amazing things pretty quickly. Um, one of the things I know it can do is that it's going to be able to write much more sophisticated software than like the current systems can do. Like ChatGPT is like great for like snippets and stuff, but it can't write whole programs. GPT four can write whole programs. That's that is actually that that, that could change things uh, substantially. Yep, it yeah. will. <laughs> what uh, what do you think? How do you think the internet has affected our ability to think? Do you think it's been uh, negative, positive? In which ways has it been negative and positive? I think it is the average is positive. The mean is negative. So, well, actually, I'm not even sure if that's true. It might even be positive on the mean. So, like, again, people don't realize how savage the past was. It's like there's always been the question of, like, you know, has the internet made us dumber or made our stupidity more accessible? I think it's actually mostly the second. Well, I think on average, the internet has made people much smarter. It's made people more skeptical. It's made people more capable of, like, thinking, more exposed to different viewpoints and whatever. But what it has also made us is that it exposes us to super memes, to super infectious, like super dangerous memes. I think of like um, being exposed to the internet is kind of like being like a tropical disease researcher. You're probably going to have a really good immune system, but you also are exposed to like the worst things and like, you know, like hyper, you know, contagious, like dangerous things. So what I, I think this results on on net is that society kind of stratifies more. We have more tails. We have more hyper-rational people. Like, I think the most rational people to ever live are currently alive. Like, I, I, like even if you read, like, you know, very rational people or, like, very smart people, like Einstein or von Neumann, if you actually read the biographies carefully, you're, like, a bit savage, you know? Like, by modern-day standards still, you know? And, you know, not just racism and stuff, but, like, also that. Like, just, like, how more, like, you know, uh, sophisticated we are in, like, many of these, like, regards. Like the average person of today, at least, you know, like thinks that rationality should be important or science should be important. Like, you know, back in the day, that was not always the case. And we have more, you know, cultural like memory of like these like important people that accomplished great things, who are very smart, who did great things, but like the average person, God. And I think now, like the, you know, the people who have truly been like, you know, forged in the fires of, you know, the mimetic internet you know, are actually extremely competent in a lot of these things. Some of them. I think most of the, it's like, it's a selection process, right? You know, most people get caught, you know, like, you know, you know, bottom half or bottom quarter gets caught into like QAnon or like whatever garbage. Then, you know, you know, lower half gets caught into like, you know, Fox News versus CNN or whatever, you know, you know, you know, 75th percentile gets caught into like sophisticated Twitter arguments or whatever, you know, 99th percentile gets caught into like, niche politics whatever first percentile actually is smart or whatever like actually is like extremely sophisticated and can like actually like 
be resistant to memes that you know, you know would have killed a Victorian child. If you think of differences between now and the past, one of the most extreme one is also the access to information. So this is kind of a <laughs> this is a point that that listeners and everyone has heard a million times. But it's still important to consider just how much information you're able to get access to in in any given day. How much information uh, we've gone through? How many uh, just in this in this podcast right here? Uh, how many uh, concepts we've we've mentioned that you wouldn't hear about if you lived, say, two hundred years ago? Yeah. Um, okay. What what is the most sci- impressive scientific discovery relative to its time? When relative to when it was discovered? Well, that's a nice question. I like that. Um, honestly, I might go with Aristotelian logic. And so there's a lot of problems with Aristotelian logic and like Socratic and like all this kind of stuff. Like there is like so much of his argument from authority and like so much of it's kind of just like bullshit ontologies kind of pulled out of nowhere or whatever. But given the time, like, damn, like <laughs> if you once you're like really aware of how savage the world was back then and you, but you read like Socrates or like Aristotle or like other people at that time. Like, you know, I know it's a, it's such a meme to like the ancient Greeks. Like, it's such like, oh, of course, right? Such an, you know, Western, like, you know, like a lot of people do fetishize ancient Greece and like make it look as like m- much more than it actually was. But I think actually appreciating that, like, like inventing, you know, predicate or like first order logic kind of just out of nothing at that time is like actually amazing. I think in other worlds, like if Athens hadn't fallen and like had some more, you know, some other things had gone differently, I think the industrial revolution could have happened in Athens. Like I think they like they had steam engines. Hero mm. of Alexandria built a steam engine. Like it, like you know, or look at like the Antikytherian mechanism and stuff like this. Like they were actually extremely advanced. This is a mechanical computer that was found in a shipwreck. That is that is. Yeah. That looks like something from the 17th century, but is actually more than 2,000 years old. It's, it's, yeah. It's insane. Like, so, like, this is another thing that modern people don't have a conception of, but like the idea of losing technology or like going backwards is not something that we're familiar with in our modern world. Like, we're, we're only familiar with progress. But like in the ancient world, it was a very common idea that there were golden ages where, you know, the miracles were possible and then those ages ended. And now miracles aren't possible anymore. This is a very common three theme throughout history. And for example, after like the fall of Athens, I think there was like a, there was such an age. And like also after the fall of Rome, there was ages where just a lot of technology got lost. You know, Romans could build things that later civilizations could not build. Imagine living in that society. Imagine being like a medieval peasant and you saw like a Roman aqueduct. Like it, it looks like out of miracles, like out of a fa- like fairy tale. Like, you know, no one can build stuff. Perhaps the thinking about golden uh, past golden eras weren't actually uh, it. It was true in a sense back then. Yep, I think yeah. I think so. I think we've inherited a lot of that, and it's no longer true. Like we are currently in the greatest golden age to ever live, but it's but back in the day, I think it was very reasonable. Like if you were a post-Roman, uh, you know, person and you thought of the Roman age as a golden age, I'm like, yeah, I think that's actually quite reasonable. The same thing about the like, Athenians. So yeah, I would say probably Aristotelian logic or like just like. Like, actually, not if I, I don't know if it's if it counts. I don't know if this counts, but I would say like the general proto-epistemology that came out around like Athens and Alexandria around that time. This like proto-scientific. Like it, it was so close, so close, to like getting to where the Enlightenment got. I think. Like I think, if all these, if this would have continued, they could have like discovered the scientific method. They were like so close. A little bit more empiricism, a little bit more yes. falsification, and they would have been there. Yep, I, I think. Literally that, plus just some more economic development, just like, you know, more population growth and stuff like that. And, you know, figuring out like, you know, coal mining and stuff more efficiently, like some more economic development, some more social development. Like there is still like, it makes sense that Athens fell. Like, you know, Athens was also very small, actually. Like there were only like 20,000 Athenians plus like, you know, slaves and so on. So like there actually weren't that many of them. And which, again, is actually then shocking that so few people had so many of these like critical insights that like are like, you know, is like very far advanced compared to like almost anywhere else in the world. There were other, you know, like Alexandria and stuff was also very advanced, but like compared to like, you know, the fucking like you know, Germanics or whatever, like, you know, they were like still like barbarians. It's yeah, um, the, the innovation per capita in, in ancient ancient Athens uh, 
must must perhaps the the highest ever. Yeah, and I think this is a great example of how the market is inefficient. Is like <laughs> you can just like most of computation, like most of the stuff Turing figured out, or like Leibniz or whatever, you can just figure out by thinking. Like you, they, like there's some things where like you need like so like one of the reasons why maybe. A rev, you know, industrial revolution couldn't have happened in Athens, but may have been possible in the, in the Roman Empire. Is you need a certain amount of scale, you need a certain amount of industrial capacity, you need like relatively good like steel working and stuff like this to like build large boilers and stuff. You just like need steel processing that's like quite advanced and like like metallurgy and like this is like the kind of stuff that the Romans were quite good at, like Roman concrete and like was like very like an incredibly good building material. They had like quite advanced metallurgy and stuff like this kind of stuff was like super important to actually get to the industrial revolution. It was not just coming up with thermodynamics. It was, it was a lot of it. It was just like, you know, incremental improvements in metallurgy and like, you know, smithing and like, you know, the development of like building materials and stuff like that, which is like something that like Athens, I think would have struggled with. They, they didn't have like very good steel. They, they, they couldn't develop like um, a lot of these things. They could, maybe they could have developed it later, but that would have required a lot more industry. So like if I had picked like one other point where, you know, civilization could have gone industrial, it would have been probably the Roman empire, not Athens. Um, but but yeah, it's um, it shows how inefficient the market is in that you can come up with like most of modern mathematics with pen and paper. Like you don't actually need like you know advanced steel or advanced economic economics or whatever. Like you could like the fact that Aristotle exists is kind of an existence proof that or like Euclid. Euclid's maybe an even better example. Like you read Euclid's first fifth you know, you know you know elements and whatever, and you read it and you're like holy shit, this is modern mathematics. Like this is, it has axioms, it has like, postulates, it like, you know, he derives like, sure, it's like not perfect and whatever, but like, holy shit. Like this was so far advanced for its time. And it was, it was, it remained cutting edge up until around 1700, which is an yeah. incredible achievement. Yeah, yeah. So maybe Euclid's I, elements is actually better than Aristotelian logic even. Maybe that yeah. would be the, my choice actually. I, li I like that choice. Okay, um, are books outdated? I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, now at this point, it's cultural and aesthetic, which is like fine. Like I like books as artifacts. I think they're nice. Um, I don't read books anymore as I have back issues now. So it's like sometimes hard to find a good pose to read in compared to just sitting in a nice office chair in front of my screen. Um, but I mean, the concept of writing is definitely not outdated. Uh, the publishing that writing in books is outdated. Yeah. What's the replacement? Because if you if you replace your book reading with only podcasts or uh, videos online, then you you lose some depth. But if you go all the way to only reading papers, then perhaps it, it, it gets a bit uh, you, you will perhaps consume less information. I sometimes joke that like, you know, there's like a hierarchy of like, you know, quality of literature and like nonfiction, the lowest of the low is like, you know, whatever you're on posts on Facebook. You know, that's like, that's like the bottom tier. And then you get up and then you get like, you know, like a bit above that. It's like mainstream kind of garbage, you know, it's like very low quality, whatever stuff. And it's like a lot of like videos, clickbait stuff and like whatnot. Then like one step above that, you have like, you know, like pop style, like books and like magazines and stuff, which is actually not that bad. You know, there's some good stuff on there, but it's mostly still garbage. Then you get to like actual books, you know, written by people who know what they're talking about, which is, which has like real information in them and is usually accurate, but it's usually outdated and it's usually still like fluffy and like, you know, more like partially for entertainment and so on. And then you get to like, you know, like, you know, higher level like, you know, like papers, like that's where like, you know, actual scientific knowledge is really shared and where it's actually about the scientific knowledge. That's like where you need to be when you want to like really catch up. And then in the ascended tier above that is, you know, un like poorly formatted WordPress blogs by uh, <laughs> one obsessive autist with an anime profile picture. <laughs> that is the truly ascended form of the most high signal writing ever created by mankind. You know, Gwern is the epitome of human literature as far as like nonfiction literature, as far as I'm concerned. And there's like a bunch of like these like niche Gwern-esque you know, um, blogs, like some of them for like very different, like some for one topic, some for like all kinds of different topics. And I saw many of them like absurdly well-researched 
and like I consider these they're rare and like most like most blogs are terrible, but like there's these like m- extremely niche tail end like the, the like the tails of like blogs are much longer than like any other medium. Yeah, I I agree with that take. It's a uh, I I once considered uh, only reading books and not reading anything online for in order to focus more, but I just couldn't take the loss of of these in depth blog uh, blog posts where it's. It's it's almost an insult to call it a blog. It's more like a you know a, a research paper, but but more self aware and highly updated. And yeah, I yeah, Gwern is, is is highly recommended, definitely. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I don't really read books anymore because I think the signal's too low. Like I think most books actually the signal, the si- especially the signal to like words is actually quite low in most books. Like I read tons of books when I was younger, but it was more to like catch up. On like a common corpus because like like the common corpus that like a lot of people expect people to know is in book form still so like you know you should always like everyone should read you know the selfish gene and like you know a few books about history you should read um you know read the sequences whatever you know you know there's a bunch of stuff like that that like you should have read but then after that i mean the the current place where the most you know absolute galaxy brain smartest cutting edge stuff is posted is like mostly on blogs do you think that uh, language models could become a uh, could replace books perhaps uh, having a conversation with an expert is, is one of the best ways to learn and perhaps language models could become so good that that they could teach you uh, better than say textbooks i mean yeah obviously i mean given that i think language models will lead to agi sooner or later then yeah obviously mm-hmm have you done any of this? Have you so how how do you use these uh, generative models in your daily life if you do? So funny thing is I barely use them. I'm like okay. the uh, like there's this there's this meme, this tweet where it's like, you know, tech enthusiast. Wow, my entire home is smart. I have everything connected to my Wi-Fi and everything. And it's like tech worker. I, I have one printer at home and I keep a loaded handgun next to it in case it makes a noise I don't recognize. <laughs> <laughs> like I I'm kind of like the second category. For, but is, uh, is it actually a safety issue? That that meme is about. No, no, yeah, uh, it's it's. I mean, it's not just a safety issue. I mean, I am paranoid about like online safety and such to to a large degree and such. But um, it is more just like don't trust technology in many ways. Like I know its limits and its weaknesses. I am very interested in language models from like a research perspective. There's many interesting things to do with them. But like for most of the work I need to do. Um, it's not particularly helpful. Like I hit the limits very quickly. Like I'm like, I know what it can do. And like, I hit those limits super quickly. And there's also, uh, this is also why I have a good model of like what they can and can't do. And they can do a lot. I could probably optimize a lot if I put some effort into this. Um, but another one is actually safety is that I, the things I would want them to do are not things I want open AI reading my logs on. You know, I don't want to share personally identifiable information or by personal emails or like whatever with open AI. I'm like, Yikes! Like I don't want them building, you know, like you know, being able to train on my interactions with, you know, people. I don't want them to be able to, you know, if I had ways of improving their models or like hitting their limits, I wouldn't want them to know about that necessarily. So there's also limitations there. Um, there is a lot of there is a lot of useful things. Like I probably should just use more. Like you know, there's a lot of like useful, useful like transcription stuff that also conjecture has been working on some transcription stuff which has been super super useful really great tool if anyone wants to check it out um that we've been building there um and stuff like that sometimes use ai generation stuff for my dnd stories uh, like images but um i use surprisingly little ai in my day-to-day life one limit that i've come across when i talk to language models is, is just that it's you can't you can't really go deep on a topic you know a lot about but but then you <laughs> then you if I'm annoyed at at it at GP, at Chat GPT's inability to talk about some philosophical issue that I'm interested in, then I have to remind myself that it could actually converse kind of uh, pretty pretty well with me on any given topic to 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 a certain level of depth. So and so it 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 knows much more than I do about uh, plumbing, uh, theater, and so on any given topic. Uh, but but I can see how you. Perhaps at this point, it's difficult to make progress in, in, in your own knowledge if you're already knowledgeable on topic. Yeah, it's like most of the knowledge I'm interested in is on the level of like Gwern stuff. Yeah. If, like, if I was interested in you know, something on like a pop style level, 
then I'm sure ChatGPT is super helpful. I just like genuinely don't consume any PopSci. Like it's just like not useful to me. It's also not very entertaining to me anymore. I also have the privilege of being surrounded by very, very, very many smart people that I can just like talk to whenever I want. And so I expect if I would be more isolated, it would be more valuable. But like if I need to talk to an expert on like programming language theory, I can just get someone and just talk to them. So how how close are we to having uh, personalized AI tutors for, for children, for example, based on language models? Are we already there? I think you could have that. I expect children to be very, very good at immediately getting it to say bad words. Uh, it's definitely what I would have done. I expect this not to happen. Why do I expect this not to happen? Regulation. I like, I think, so I'm one of those people, I, I think school is bad. Like, obviously so. Like, it's like, obvious. it's child torture. Like, I consider school to be a massive human rights violation. Like, absurdly so. And if people, if like our, our descendants will look back at how we do school nowadays, and they'll be like, you did what to your kids? You, you locked them in these rooms with all these other terrible kids and these like, you know, midwit teachers that were like often very abusive and like, you know, and no one did anything about that. What? Like, excuse me? So like, I, I expect this to be one of the greatest moral atrocities of our, not the greatest, but like this to be one of the most pervasive moral atrocities of our time that we torture our kids and we're just like fine with it this is another great example of how humans don't really have morals like people are, like are not inherently good or evil like they're just like they just go along with whatever society says um like if if school didn't exist and i introduced the concept to you you would be horrified you would never do this to your kids you would be like i, I and the, the teachers do what and how often is sexual abuse what i'm not leaving them alone with that with these like in those scenarios but because it's normal and everyone does it, like you get the fucking police called on you if you don't want to go to the torture chamber with all the other kids to get tortured, you know? Like this is this is interesting since uh, if you if you ask, uh, I, I think a lot of people they would say that, uh, that kind of education is something that everyone can agree is is a good thing, like family or, so, or something like this. But well, perhaps yeah. perhaps you, you, we should differentiate between education and then the schooling, the school system as it looks now. Exactly. So this is the classic phenomena of where. So this is like the like classic Robin Hanson, you know, elephant in the brain. Another book everyone should read. Um, concept where something, you know, on surface optimizes for X. Everyone says it's for X, but in practice, it obviously is optimizing for Y. So, like, maybe there's a different purpose. And the actual purpose of school is it is child prison. It's the kid, the parents need to go to work. They need to do other things. They can't take care of the child. They don't want to spend that much time with the child. They have to like be put away in the child prison. And also, you have to civilize people. Children are feral. Like, you know, children are animals. Like, obviously, and like, you know, cute, adorable, lovely animals. And you know, I love kids. Uh, but like. They are animals <laughs> and like they if you want them to integrate into society at some point there has to be a civilizing process so the way this should work is you know you have loving parents paying close attention to them you know stern but loving father you know kind but loving mother and loving mother whatever but an industrial scale you know you can't always guarantee that so you know especially if you need people and workers to be in a certain kind of educational level you can't guarantee that parents will necessarily do that you know kids in the modern world, you need to learn to read, you need to learn to, you know, do simple mathematics and whatever. And so, and most people do not want to learn mathematics. They really, really, really don't. And you have to force them. Like you have to literally use violence to teach people math. Like some people, that's not the case. Like, you know, I, I think if you left me as a kid, just unsupervised in a room, I would have like, you know, just like stumbled up on mathematics just because I was bored. And I, I thought it was fun. It was like a puzzle. Like, you know, you left me there with like a textbook and I like, I, I would have probably just like, you know, done it because I was bored. But for most kids, that is not the case. And if you want kids to function in modern society, if you want them to be live a fulfilling life and you know be able to handle themselves, you need to literally use violence, like at scale. Again, this is if you're a dumb society. If you're a smart society, oh, 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 do I have ways to solve this? I have lots of ways how we could solve this, but it requires an actual smart society, which we do not have. To have a more humane schooling system where oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so many ways how we can make school this wonderful experience that like everyone backing out that helps people grow as people, you know, become adults, you know, like, you know, lots of like fun experiences where, you know, you're challenged, you get to like, you know, like there's like, yeah, of course, like. Does, does this have to do with society simply becoming richer and then thereby having resources sources to become more humane, become more perhaps uh, personalized in our approach to education, not 
putting every uh, every young person in the same box, which is yeah. which were perhaps necessary in some sense uh, when the when the kind of modern school systems were set up 200, 150 years ago. Absolutely, like a lot of that, like school is much better now than it was before. Obviously, yeah. like you know, as much as I you know am being direct here that school is torture, and I do consider it torture, um, and like it is like obviously so. It's like so much better than it used to be. Like obviously, like especially you know, at least in you know, wish like you know, a lot of people do have fond memories from school. I have some fond memories from school, even so I consider it mostly torture. You know, still there's a lot of nice things. Some of my teachers were really nice, and they taught me some great things, and I'm happy that I got to spend time with them, and I have some good friends. There's also a lot of really traumatic experiences, as every kid has during those times, and it's um, it's cruel gaslighting. This is like why I'm like passionate about this. It's like very cruel gaslighting that like, you know, kids are put into these terrible situations where they're like being bullied or like the teachers are cruel or abusive and they or they're like, you know, they're maybe they're a bit ADHD and they just like can't pay attention and they're like forced to sit still and like this is like genuinely painful. Like, you know, as a kid with ADHD, like this was like genuinely just like very, very terrible. And I got, you know, lots of shit for that. And I only got away with it because I was like pretty smart. But like, you know, if I was not been smart. And I would have like failed in school. This would have been like absolutely traumatic. It's been horrible. It was like, you know, I did get into trouble a lot because I would just not pay attention. I'd be like, you know, wiggling and like, you know, talking and such. But I got lucky. And if, but it's still better. Like, you know, right? Like, you know, no one hit me, you know, in school. I was never abused. I was never hurt. Like, you know, I was yelled at, you know, sometimes, but like, you know, no one ever hurt me. That was not the case a while ago. You know, if I was born like 30, 50 years ago, yeah. Teachers would have beat the shit out of me, like obviously. So um, maybe rightfully, but you know, um, no, it's um, joking. Obviously, yeah. But the problem is, I think, is it's not just money. So it's also money. It's also money and stuff. But it's like uh, cynicism. Man, I'm so cynical today. Uh, <laughs> it's just so sad. But like, the core problem is much worse than that. Like that, one of the core problems of civilization of humanity. That comes up again and again in different guises is this problem that like just most people aren't that great like man like just like most adults are just like they also have their shit you know they're also kind of immature they're like you know they don't they don't give good advice and they're like they can get angry and like whatever and like as a kid you're in a particularly vulnerable state it's actually basically the same relationship like the same type of relationship that exists between like a patient and a therapist so there's this current movement kind of going on where like everyone should go to therapy everyone should have a therapist i'm like whoa ho, ho, slow the fuck down there uh i'm not sure that's a good idea um i think the idea of therapy is great the idea of having you know someone guide you through emotional issues help you grow as a person someone to talk to you like oh, oh wonderful yeah fantastic now let's look under the rug and see how this actually works. Oh, no. And like school is the same kind of issue. We're like, oh, education. We're teaching kids how to be adults and how to do useful things. Wow, this is so wonderful. Let's look how, oh, no. So that, so I, I consider these the same class of problems. We're like, if you have a great therapist who's intelligent and mature and they care and they're like, you're like wow, that's, like a, that's such a high value experience. Same thing with the teacher. We have a great teacher, smart kind patient and really believes in you and is helping you that's a wonderful experience that's like such that's like as a kid having a mentor you know having a some adults that are really looking out for you they're rooting for you is so important you know both your your teachers but and your parents and so on, you really have your parent and they're behind you you know they're rooting for you that's so important as a kid it's so valuable but you just can't guarantee that at scale man most teachers are just dudes you know they're just like some kind of people they're just like oh, they don't want to be here either they don't even like kids like fuck what is um what is a belief or an opinion you have that is very different from those of your in-group hmm well depends on how in the in-group is um <laughs> um i have various spicy opinions about like you know coordination politics and what we've already mentioned some of this if i I guess if you define my in-group as like, not like literally my friends, but like, you know, wider cultural context, probably my like belief in like, um, you know, like virtue and like these kind of concepts or more like um, 
Well, here's a fun answer. Let me give you, okay, instead of giving you a serious answer, how about I give you a fun answer instead? Okay, fun answer is um, whole schizo theory about basically how, like, all of, like, um, religion, mythology, spirituality, and stuff are, like, actually really important and, like, completely mechanistically understandable. Like, I think that, like, um, if you replace the word spiritual with, like, virtual, if you replace, like, magic with, or, like, spells with memes, it just works. You have a congrats, you have a mechanistic understanding of magic. So, like, I think that there are, that, like, concept of magic is very real. And, like, you know, like, you know, magic with a K kind of is, like, very real and, like, actually a very meaningful concept. But it's just, it's very confused. Like, people are confused about it. They think it's, like, a physical concept. It's not. Like, magic is to reality as computation is to CPUs or like computer programs are to CPUs. So like one of my favorite examples of this is, is that um, there are many tri there's many groups like uh, that, and especially Southeast Asia, which have a myth about the evil eye. So the way this works is, is the shaman can put, or the sorcerer or whatever, can put in a certain type of curse called an evil eye on a person, and then they will like wither and die if they get the evil eye. So this is true. This has been, this is observable, is that people who get the evil eye grow like sick and they often die. This is real. This is observable, empirically observable phenomena. Now, how do you explain this? Well, you know, if you try to explain this with like, you know, a purely, you know, like physicalist driven, you know, like just like view, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. This can't be possible. Like, surely there's like some mistake here. Well, no, I think there's another aspect. If you look at this medically, there's a very simple explanation for this. The, simple, the explanation is very simple. When the shaman casts the evil eye, they make it common knowledge that the evil eye is on this person. The tribe now all know, oh shit, this guy's got the evil eye on him. Fuck, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to him. So he just gets neglected. That's it. Everyone, he, it's, a, it's a software attack. The shaman performed a software attack on the operating system running on the general medic environment. They introduced a meme into the environment, a toxic meme, which was directed against a specific person, which changed the, like, predictably so, changed the minds of the other people to start neglecting this person. And by neglect, people die and people get sick. But this, uh, this kind of, this reinterpretation of magic in terms of memes and signaling and social psychology is still perfectly compatible with a physicalist uh, worldview. Yes. It's just, yes. a, it's just a, a, a slightly weird way of thinking uh, about it. it. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, I was, naive physicalist would have been the correct way to say that. It's like, I think magic is as real as a Python program on your computer. It's like, you know, what does the program exist? Debatable. Like you can say it's encoded in physical states, of course, and it has physical, con you, know, you know, consequences on reality. And to be clear, none of this is like unique to me. Like these are obviously things that other people have noticed as well. Um, you know, like even like all the way back to like, you know, structure interpretation of computer programs opens with this like nice chapter, a like, nice little intro where he's like, you know, oh, we have sorcerers encoding, you know, arcane glyphs onto magic stones that summons immaterial spirits that can have effects on reality. And that's, you know, what we call a computer program, a programming on a CPU, a computer program. Like, you know, so I sometimes talk about, you know, the, I've mentioned this before, like the idea of like the missing science of memetics. I think the missing science of memetics is also the missing science of magic. And so like when I say medics, I mean like a science that can predict how memes would be effective in a given environment. Like we should have an ontology, a way of thinking about how do we cast spells? Like how can we like, uh, I, I, it's a bit of a dark one, but I have a really good example for this. It's a bit dark. Um, but so there is a truly terrible thing that has ha that happened a lot in over the last you know, 10, 20 years, which is school shootings. This is a truly, truly tragic thing. This is a terrible thing. No one wants this to happen. Everyone wants to prevent this, but somehow they keep happening. Somehow this keeps happening, especially in the U.S. Well, what causes this? Well, you know, one obvious explanation is guns. That's a pretty, that's a pretty reasonable theory. But then we look at like Canada or like Switzerland or whatever, and they have as many guns as Americans, sometimes more, and they don't have this problem. Or it's like much, 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 much rarer, like orders of magnitude. And like, okay, so, you know, maybe it's definitely contributing to the problem, but like, is it the problem? Well, not really. Well, having more guns obviously also doesn't solve it. Like, I don't think I need to prove that. Like, obviously it doesn't help. So it's not that. What is it? Why does it happen in America, but not in Switzerland? That's kind of weird. So there's a lot of weird explanations for what you can, you can have for this. You know, you can, you know, economic disparity or like mental health treatment or whatever. But I think there's a much more sobering, much more sobering reality, 
is it's memes. It's cool to do. It's just because of the way the media treats school shooters in the US, it has become the default script, the fate, the you know, encoded in our cultural mythology as a school shooter, as this like evil boogeyman. And like this is the thing that evil people do. This is the if you tread off the path of light into the path of pure darkness, this is what happens. So what has happened is, is that a deviously toxic meme has embedded itself into the cultural reality of the of especially the United States and the Anglo-Saxon world and you know the like English-speaking world in general. Like these things don't really happen like in Asia. They're like much, much, much rarer there because it's a different cultural context. It's a different spiritual realm, so to speak. So what do you do? So, okay, what is my solution? How do we stop school shootings? The truth is we have to make it uncool. The, what I think what actually has to be done is you need to have a anti-meme. You have to like release memes. You have to change the spiritual story around this, about evil and good and so on, to make it not the thing that evil people want to do. You have to give them something else to do. Because there will always be evil people. There will always be people who feel betrayed, who want to like take vengeance upon society or whatever. And basically, you have to cast a spell. You have to manipulate them into thinking that they should do something different. And I have no idea how the hell to do this. Like, holy shit. Like, you know, like, if I, like, if I was an advanced civilization with an advanced science of memetics, I should be able to solve this. Like, an alien comes from space, looks at this, like, ah, yes, this is a class 2AB mimetic hazard. I know what to do. Let's, let's activate protocol D. And then they'd, like, do something and, like, say some words and things would be solved. Do you think that do you think that we could actually get a science of mimetics uh, going? Because you know, <laughs> the sciences that have been very successful are sciences that are not inf- that are studying something where where humans do not interact with the object, physics, uh, chemistry, uh, biology to some extent. But the one perhaps one reason why sociology and economics uh, are, aren't as successful. Uh, is because you're studying something where where humans are interacting with the system, and with memetics, you're studying. You're basically what you're studying is is purely humans interacting with each other, and so wouldn't it be too fast moving and fragile and uh, complex for for you for us to pin down, say, you know, uh, Newtonian laws of memetics? Oh yeah, absolutely. There would not be Newtonian laws for this. This is a level two science. Like, I think humans have, like, mastered level one science pretty well. You know, like, look up how, like, an EUV lithography machine works. Like, what the fuck? How, how the hell did humans build that? So the fact that we can build that, I'm like, okay, yeah, we, we understand, like, level one, like, physical science. Cool. If you look at the things that are actually hard for modern science, like, the things we actually just, like, cannot do, you always get back to complexity and interactivity. You get back to, you know, you know hard algorithmic problems, biology, sociology, economics. All these kind of things like what do these things have in common well multiple things one thing is reactivity and like chaos and how by interacting like level two chaos in the sense that you interacting with the system makes it chaotic so this is like this is the interesting version of the efficient market hypothesis the, the interesting version is that it is a system which is chaotic by you interacting with it. if it is not chaotic you interacting with it will make it chaotic from your perspective this is a very interesting property to have this is like an adversarial property. The market is adversarial. This is also interesting from the perspective of AI. This is why AI and AGI is fundamentally different from other kinds of like disaster or like you know risk management because you're dealing with an adversarial system. When you're dealing with like volcanoes or like you know viruses or whatever, like viruses are kind of like an intermediate state. But let's say volcanoes, they're not malicious. Like the volcanoes aren't maximizing their damage to cause to human. They're not like once the it's not like once you learn where the volcano is, the volcano goes somewhere else to hide from you, right? It's just like, you know, the level one problem. It's like, you know, okay, there's a physical phenomena out there in reality. It might be complicated. It might be, you know, like, you know, we might need to develop some new theory or whatever, or some new measuring devices. But like, you know, humans are actually pretty decent at that. Not great, but really pretty decent at this. Level two problems are different. Level two problems are things that evolve, that react, that fight. And this is to a large degree, like, exactly why these designs are hard like sociology is harder than physics obviously like you know physics studies you know like physics is the science of the first order taylor derivative uh, expansion right and sociology is much much more complex this is why sociology is terrible <laughs> you know like if you read an average sociology you know like paper terrible 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 like no signal and um and i think the reason is not you know necessarily lack of trying it's just that this is really really hard 
and it's develop it requires the development of like science two, you know, like scientific method 2.0 to be able to like deal with these kinds of scenarios. I think we've seen some early developments towards like scientific method 2.0. I mean, we have some methodologies that are like much more advanced than like anything like Popper or such would think about. Like Popper is like you know, classic like you know, science 1.0 kind of stuff, while like modern conceptions of science are much more complicated and involve other ways of gaining information about reality and such. But as an existence proof about how I think this is hard, but not impossible, uh, consider that the shaman can cast the evil eye. How did he do that? Well, he understood, he had a model, a causal model of how things around him work and how if he do, if he says certain spells and he like, you know, frantically waves his hands or whatever, that he can then accomplish a intervention in reality. There's an intervention, the evil eye, you know, that maybe, maybe it's passed down from shaman to shaman, but like some, someone figured out that they could do this and that it worked and then they kept it around. So it's if, if, if that like proto scientific view can already understand quite a lot of the things, like actually humans very naturally have a lot of sense for these kinds of things, like how to be convincing, how to be, you know, like a, a, an in-tuned sense for social reality. And if anything, most people, for most people, social reality is more natural than actual reality. Like actual reality is actually quite unnatural for most people. Most people don't really interact with physical reality. They interact through social reality. And most people, when they, the fundamental ontology that most people think in is not atoms and bits and whatever. It's like people and alliances and friends and family and stuff like that, which are you know, fundamentally high-level concepts. So I think we're at the stage of like, there's lots of low-hanging fruit. It's very hard. If I had like tons of time you know, and AGI wasn't around the corner, maybe I would work on the signs of memetics. You know, as seems my brain, you know, takes a liking to these kinds of thoughts. So maybe I'd be working on that. A formal theory of magic. We have a we have a better intuitive grasp of social dynamics than we do about physics, for example. But why is yeah. the why is our uh, scientific theories of physics then more advanced uh, than our, sci- our scientific theories of mimetics? If if our if we start out with a uh, you know, if we start with a better starting point in the social realm, uh, why can't we make faster progress there? Because physics is just easier, like much easier, and it's not adversarial. So this is like the mimetic evolution thing. That by the so like, if I had to do, if I was sent back two thousand years, whatever or whatever, and I spoke the language, I could like mimetically destroy these people. Like I could make them laugh. I could make them, you know, believe anything I say. I could out argue Socrates easily. If Socrates came up to me, I would destroy him. Not because I'm smarter than him. Socrates was probably much smarter than me, but because I have been like, I've heard all his arguments. I have, I am so mimetically, you know, I, you know, I grew up on, you know, fucking the internet. Like I have, I have debated and argued like, man, I would destroy Socrates. He would be like, like, he, he would just rage quit if he had to debate me. Like, and not just me to be clear. There's like lots of people that like, you know, in modern reality, like most, most like high school debaters, I think could destroy Socrates. So, but so it's an evolution. The problem gets harder as you interact with it. If you were to choose one uh, person or group uh, in history that has helped humanity the most by your values, uh, what person or group would you choose? Hmm. Question. Not sure I can get like pick out. Anyone in particular? Like, think about counterfactual impact. What would be the highest counterfactual impact? Like, there's lots of people who did great things, you know, like, you know, creating vaccines or like developing like, you know, various branches of science. But a lot of them, I think, are not counterfactually that important. Like, I think a lot of these sciences would have been developed anyways. You know, if Turing hadn't existed, I think like, you know, Konrad Zuse would have like, in, you know, invented things. You know, if Einstein hadn't existed, then, um, Lorenz, I think it was, would have like invented special relativity. Um, so what we're thinking about is perhaps a bit like the question about Aristotle or Euclid, yeah, where yeah, yeah. we think, think about who made who made the 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 earliest progress on a difficult problem, but in in the ethical realm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm think I mean, yeah, like someone who was ahead of his time was Jeremy Bentham, but I'm not sure how big his influence was. Like I don't know if he would be like the person who's made 
the the most differentiable impact. I mean, you could also give the the you know like Mimi answers of you know like Stanislav Petrov and stuff like the people who averted nuclear war. Um, I expect whoever actually did the most good is someone that history has forgotten, just like some person in some scenario just who made a choice that really made the world a better place and were never celebrated from it. But I don't have a clever answer for this one. Okay, perfect. Is AI-generated content the future of media? Obviously. Like, I, I've gone on the record to say in the past that I expect you can generate full, like, Hollywood movies in, like, the next couple of years. I expect that to be possible. Full, full Hollywood movies in the next couple of years? Yeah. That would, su that would surprise me, but, yeah, I've been surprised many times. <laughs> so perhaps I haven't updated uh, all the way, as, as, uh, as you mentioned before. Yeah, just update all the way, bro. All right, perfect. Let's end it there then. This uh, this has been fantastically interesting to me, Connor. I hope uh, I hope it's been interesting to you too. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks so much for having me. Perfect.